Well, we understand as a church that the family is the most important building block of our church. And if you don't understand it, I want you to understand it today. That family is the most important building block of church. It's the most important building block of society. That when God decided he was going to create mankind and he was going to start this whole thing that we know as the human race, the first thing he did is he created a couple and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Before, you know, there was a bank, there was a family. Before there was a government organization, there was a family. Before there was anything, any industry, there was a family. God said, this is the most essential building block of everything that I do is the family. And I want you to understand today that we as a church, myself as a pastor, we believe in strong families. And as we think about family today, I want us, we're going we're to spend some time looking at some building blocks. But before we look at those building blocks, three building blocks, uh, three, three elements to growing great families... Um, I wanted to, to settle some things about family first. I want you to understand a couple, two concepts first before we begin to look at the details. Because sometimes we can say, well, my family's such a mess, or I don't really have a family, or, or whatever about our family, that you're going to turn your ears off and not listen to the rest. So I want to throw a couple things out there first to, uh, to make it easier for you to hear the rest. And the first thing I want you to throw out there is this idea that there are no perfect families. You understand that? One day I was, uh, I was tubing, snow tubing at Sunburst with another family. And me and the guy were walking up the hill, another dad, and we're talking. And, and he said, I think every family's dysfunctional. Because he was talking about dysfunction. And his, it was around Christmas time, and Christmas is time to all get together. And he said, every family's dysfunctional. And I said, yeah, mine sure is. You know, you get my whole family together. You just put the four of us together, and there's dysfunction. Because we're all, we're all people. And I want you to understand today, there are no perfect families. And the reason I say that today is I want to release you from the burden of trying to project to other people that your family is perfect. You're not fooling anybody. We all know there's no perfect families. So let's not do that. You know, especially in the church world, um, the stories I hear my wife talking about growing up, that in the church world, at least for generations, there's been this idea that we have to somehow try to impress everybody else with our perfect families, and you've got to hide some imperfection and bring great stress and, and almost demand um, the, the false molding of people into a mold they don't fit in because it might not look like the perfect family. And you know what? As a church, I don't want to be responsible for, for doing something that will be contrary to what God wants. God makes us families, and he understands that in our families there's imperfection. Matter of fact, I was going to today, and I didn't want to take the time to do it, but do this. I challenge you, find a perfect family in Scripture. Find a family where they don't kill each other physically, <laughs> where they're not murdering each other. <laughs> I mean, we got pretty good families. You know, you can't find an Old Testament family that the brother becomes king and doesn't slaughter the rest of his family. Or brothers, the first two brothers, one kills them. You know, the first couple... Adam, he's, God creates the perfect wife for him. And the very first time they have a problem, he says, it's the woman you gave me. There's, it's just full of conflict. It's from the, it, it, there is not a family in Scripture where you don't see turmoil and, dis, and dysfunction. So let's just settle right now as a church. There are no perfect families. Let's stop worrying about what people think and do whatever we can to create the best healthiest families possible in our lives. Because if we take that stress off that says, I've got to have a perfect family, 
then we can just put our energies, because that takes energy. It takes energy to, produce, to, to, um, to promote a false image. Right? You understand what I mean? It takes energy to display something that's not real. And if we just say, well, I'm not going to worry about displaying something that's not real. Let's just focus on developing great families. You know what? Then we will have greater families. That's the first thing I want to settle right out of the chute. Second thing is this that I want to look at before we get to the heart of our message today. That when you come into the kingdom of God by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a member of the family of God. And some of you, it's so important to receive today because you've come in here today and as I'm going to talk about family, I understand this. You think back to family, maybe a family of abuse, a family of, of mistrust, a family of incredible dysfunction, and to you, family is a four-letter word. And you say, I don't want to even think about family. I want to tell you something. When you come into the kingdom of God, you become a member of the greatest family ever. You become part of the family of Jesus Christ. You need to understand today, you do have a place where you belong. You are part of God's family. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't it interesting in Scripture that that's how, the, uh, so often in the New Testament, that is how um, people are referred to toward one another? Greet your brother and sister. They're not really bio brother and sisters. They're brothers and sisters unified by something greater than anything fleshly. They're unified by the blood of Christ. And friends, when you come into the kingdom of God, you join a family. You're, Jesus says that you're adopted into the family. You're chosen on purpose and brought into the, the family. And the church, that family, gives us some, some privileges and some responsibilities. We get the privilege of being part of something great. We have a wonderful group of people to depend on, to unite with, to help, and to be helped by. And that's what a family, church family, should look like. A place that is very family-ish. If we think of the idealistic family, you know, we said there's no perfect one, but we kind of think of the Norman Rockwell family, and they're all helping each other and loving on each other. That's what the church should look like. As best as possible, the greatest expression of family ought to be in the individual Christian family and in the local church. Because we're all believers in Christ and we come together and we unite and we understand what family is all about. It's a place to belong. It's a place to unite. It's a place to help and be helped. And regardless of the condition of your biological family, you have a wonderful church family right here. If you say, I've grown up and I've got a family that just is tore up or I'm the only one left, guess what? You are part of a wonderful family when you're part of Portview Church. And even something greater, you're part of the kingdom of God. So there are privileges and there are great responsibilities um, that we have in the family. We are a family and another one of our we have, we have privileges but the responsibility that we have that I want us to really think about today is we are family and family takes care of its own. We are family and family takes care of its own. I was thinking the best way to illustrate this would be to think of and we see this on TV and movies whatever or we just think about in history kind of the we got any Italians in here? we got a couple, right? The Italian family, you know, where everybody takes care of each other, you know. And uh, isn't it the Bartolotti uh, commercials around Christmas about getting gift certificates? They talk about ma, who's going to bring ma, you know. And, and, you know, it's that kind of concept. We're family. You don't mess with the family. You know, we are family. And we got something greater than just being bio-family, that we are joined and in, by the Spirit of God and filled with this Holy Spirit and we as a family then take care of our own. That we have the responsibility for caring for one another. We've got the responsibility of loving one another. We have the responsibility of helping one another. You know what? You can't be part of the family and never interact with somebody else. 
It's not really being part of the family. You're robbing yourself and you're robbing the rest of the family if you walk in late and leave early and never talk to anybody. And then during the week, you don't spend any time communicating with the family. We're family. We're here together. We have responsibilities to love on each other, to care for each other, and to help one another. We are so blessed to be having a lot of new people coming into the family. You know, um, I was at a birthday party yesterday from someone from church, and and at that birthday party, um, the person said for me to say in front of the rest of their, their biological family, Pastor, tell them how many people have been coming into the church and how many people have been getting saved. We just talked about it, all the people coming to Christ. You know what? We are privileged that we are part of a, of a growing family, and that's wonderful. That's God's plan. From the very first church family put together, one of the comments he made about it is he said, and God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. If you're going to be a, a healthy, real family of God, people are coming to know Jesus in the family. But you know what? That, that also puts responsibility on us if we're coming into the family or we're already part of the family. Because when we're already part of the family, we need to welcome in new, new people. You know, when you've got a family and somebody has a baby, what's the first thing that happens? You walk in with that little car CD thing, you know, the little basket thing, you know what I'm talking about, the handle on top? Um, sometimes they snap in the car seat and sometimes they're separate. What's that called? A carrier. A carrier. Yeah, okay, that's pretty. <laughs> a carrier thing. You come walking into the room with that carrier and that little baby in there and the whole world stops. And every, especially every lady, whether they're lying or not, Oh, what a beautiful baby. You know, it's like, I look, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that thing's not beautiful. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hopefully someday it will be. Sometimes they are, you know. <laughs> so they all look, all the ladies, Suzanne's saying, some things you don't say. Um, but anyways, you open it up and everybody welcomes, cute or not, everybody welcomes that baby into the family. No one has to say, have a family meeting. Now, you know, Sally had a baby. And we really need to be better at receiving that baby into our family. It just happens naturally, and it happens because you've got a passion for that cute little baby. Well, you know what? The same thing needs to happen in the church world. God's birthing new babies all the time. It's not the baby's responsibility to say, hey, somebody recognize me. They do squawk and cry a little bit. But you know what? We as adults all understand we've got to welcome the baby. We're the ones who've got to go out, our way, out of our way to receive the baby. And you know what? That's what happens in the kingdom of God in the church world. That when God brings new people into the family... We, who are already part of the family, have to go out of our way. We've got to spend some energy to open up our arms and welcome some new babies in. And you know what? Just like receiving a new bio baby, it's easy to do because they're all cute, right? They're all wonderful. They might have to have their diapers changed sometimes, but that's all right because the family's growing, and a growing family is a good thing, right? Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Say this to the person next to you. Say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We, are part we are part of a growing family. Amen. It's, it's of the Lord. Now, with those two things being understood, what I, want, what I really felt led of the Lord to do today is to, to take the next time, the, the remaining time we have together, and identify some of the things that are most important for the success of our families. And this ties to our church family and particularly to our home families. And what happens in the home front affects the church front. So what are some of the most important things that we need for the success for families to grow into great families? Remember, that doesn't mean that they're without problems. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they look like another family. It just means they're great families filled with love and the Lord is honored and, and people are welcomed and received. That's a great family. 
you know, what are the things that we need to, to establish in our lives that are, that, are, that are very important for our incredibly imperfect families? That we got some struggles in our families, but there's some, some things we can't maybe change, but there's things we can really do that can help our families to grow and to th- thrive. And I've identified three, and I actually thought this morning I should have added a fourth. I'll tell you the fourth one out of shoot, because uh, I'm not going to talk about it today. Because I tend to be an overly serious person, an analyzer. Some of you say, no, you're always sitting here cracking jokes. Yeah, but my real me is incredibly, my mom said one time, she said Mark was born 19. You know, I wasn't a cute baby. You know, you opened it up, you saw a 19-year-old. Um, you know, um, and I just, I, I analyze and I think all the time. And I thought one of the most important things to have in your family is fun. And one of the things I should have included that I didn't is fun. You ought to be fun to be together with your family. Right? Well, let's look at three more. And we're going to spend the most time on this first one because I think it's the most foundational. It, it, it is the foundation. And it's something that all of us can do. And even what I want you to understand today is if you say, well, that doesn't exist in our family, I'm not worried about what happened before. I'm not worried if your family broke up before because you can't change the past. I'm talking about from today forward, right? From this day on. You can't change what happened yesterday, but we can all, we can all make adjustments to what's going to go on from, day, from today till tomorrow, right? And, and next year and the year after that. And so the first um, thing that's so important for us to have in our families from today forward, and for some of you, you're going to have to actually, as a, in a, as a family, get together and state this. It's this. Commitment. The thing that we have to have, I think the most foundational building block that we have to have in our, marriage, in our families is commitment. Let me tell you something. I think I may have told you this before, but I think it's the best way of expressing what I mean. And you, now, ladies, don't get mad at me, okay? I sometimes can be romantic. I mean, I can be, I can think of these things, but sometimes my, my very practical side overrides that. When Suzanne and I were dating, and guys are wooing their fiancés and telling them about the wonderful life they're going to have together, and it's going to all be wonderful, and I'll be a knight in shining armor, and you'll be a beautiful bride, you know, I always told her this. I said, honey, I don't believe in fairy tales. I told her this. I said, if I grow to hate you, I will not divorce you. That is my commitment to you. Now that's the kind of thing you want to hear on the day you're getting married. (laughs) If I grow to hate you, I will not divorce you. And I meant it with every fiber of my being. And some of you say, that's the last thing I would want to hear on my wedding day. But I would venture to say it's probably the most important thing you could ever hear in your wedding day. Because expressing to Suzanne something that's never changed one bit, that I am 100% committed to this relationship. It might not be real romantic, but it's absolutely essential to have commitment as the foundation of family. Church, that's the type of commitment needed to make great families. Because here's what happens. Commitment develops stability. And commitment develops trust. And commitment develops security. In which are all essential for a healthy family to have the soil, proper soil, for a healthy family to grow. You have to have an environment. If people are going to grow and develop and take risks and try things and fail and, 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 and explore and become who God wants them to be, there has to be an environment that is stable and trustworthy and secure. 
And that all is founded upon the sense that there is commitment. My boys know, because they know from the day they're born, dad and mom will never separate. We made a deal when we got married. The word divorce, and understand, I'm going to talk about divorce in a minute. I'm not criticizing anybody who's been on that path. But we said, because this we're talking about from today forward, that the word divorce would never be mentioned in our life and our marriage one time. Murder might have been, but divorce might not have been. You know? And if I grow to hate you, I'll never divorce you. And I didn't mean in there I wouldn't kill her either. So, um... But understand here, I didn't just make this up and say, and say, well, I think commitment ought to be the most important. No. This comes from the foundational core belief of what Jesus, the commitment that Jesus extends to us when we become part of his family. When we come into the family of God, he extends a commitment to us that is, no matter what, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He says that in his word. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Now, I want to read a scripture to you right now. And I'm saying this, that we need to recognize that God is saying something to us. When God is speaking, we need to recognize that God is speaking. And it's the third time today he wants you to hear the contents of this verse. Suzanne quoted it. I had absolutely no idea she was going to quote the verse. I have it written in my notes to literally read to you, and a prophetic word said the exact same thing. Scripture in Romans 8 says this. It says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the ultimate expression of commitment. And God wants us to understand today that's the kind of commitment he has towards you and me. He wants us to understand that for you who think you're sitting on a, on a shaky ground with God and everything's falling apart, that you know what? Your ground with God is solid. The world might be shaky around here, but God's commitment to you is unshakable. He'll never walk away from you. He lets us walk away, but He'll never turn His back on you. That nothing created, it says here, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And friends, that's the foundation, that's the example that we are to follow as we establish our families. See, understand, all families will go through hard times. Every single one. There must be an understanding that no matter what, you will be there for each other. Well, let's talk about how, that, how that's fleshed out in the, in the family situation. This starts with husbands and wives. You know, I make every couple in this place a promise today that there has been or will come a day when you won't like your spouse. I promise it. I didn't say love, because love is a commitment. Like is the feeling that goes up and down. I promise you, there will come a day, or there has been a day, or there might have been a lot of days, when you will not like your spouse. Why? Because the pressures and the changes of life will wear on you, and you and your spouse will change or refuse to change as God has been trying to lead you into change, and life will get hard, and it's not so fun and cuddly anymore. And what you need then is, no matter if I grow to hate you, I'll never divorce you. Husbands and wives, you've got to have that kind of a commitment. In those times... Ending the relationship is not an option for two Christ followers. Can I vent to you for a minute? Is that all right? 
I'm going to just get personal for a minute. And I'm going to follow it up in a second and say, I understand divorces happen. But I am tired of the church world looking for excuses for divorce and claiming biblical authority. I am absolutely tired of it. I I can't believe the transition that's happened in the evangelical church in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, one of the things that attracted me to the church, because they were quoting statistics saying that only 10% of people who call themselves born again were getting divorced. And now today, the, Barna says the numbers are exactly the same inside the church as outside the church. Now I understand they're incorporating all kinds of people who just say they're part of the church. They never go to church once a year and they say they're part of the church. I understand that, so the numbers are, are skewed. But I want you to understand something today, friends. God hates divorce. He says that in his word. But you know why he hates it? Not because he's an ogre. Because it hurts people. It destroys people. Now, I've said this a few times. I understand that divorce happens. And it's happened in some of your lives in its place today. And I honestly believe there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is healing. And I'm not in any way trying to hurt you for what's going on in the past. But I'm trying to address from this day forward. Okay? You can't undo the past. And I honestly believe 100% there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is healing. And it's all in God. But from this day forward... There are no excuses for two people who are born again to get a divorce. You say, there's, there, but there's a couple of, of, of ways that, that, there is, that, that the scriptures give an exception. There are, but there's no excuse to ever get to that point. And I'm saying, even at that point, God's ultimate goal is still for forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm not saying that we won't go into long dissertation about that, but I'm just saying this. That although divorce happens, it's never God's plan. I'm trying to be careful how I say this because I don't want to hurt anybody who's been through it. But the sad truth is, no family goes through a divorce and comes out better for it. Divorce hurts people. When we say, I do, and again, this is from this day forward, when we say, I do, we must have an absolute conviction that it is till death do us part. You know, that's why there's 2,000 years, there's years, maybe not 2,000 years, there are generations and hundreds of years of tradition of standing before a preacher and standing before a congregation and saying those exact words. Till death do us part. It comes right out of Scripture. Because that's the kind of commitment we have to have. That was a commitment I was saying to my wife on our wedding day. If I go to hate you, I won't divorce you. Doesn't sound real romantic? I'll be honest with you. I think it's the most romantic thing a person could ever say. That no matter what, I'll never leave you. When we say I do, it must be till death do us part. And believe me, friends, when we stay committed, especially through the hard times, I've got to tell you, Suzanne and I have had some challenges. Real challenges. Drag your family to Cambodia. Okay? Try that once. See if it brings some challenges into your life. We've had some real challenges. But I will tell you this, the days ahead as you continue to walk committed to God are better days. You get through the valleys, God brings you up to the plateau and onto the next hilltop. And you say, man, I'm so glad that I had a commitment. So husbands and wives, I believe that we need to be committed together. Now, let's keep going on. I said that commitment needs to start with husband and wife, but it doesn't end there. 
And the next thing I want to talk about is going to, be, is going to bring some pain to some people. But I really want you to understand this is designed to be encouraging. And it's this, moms and dads, those of you who are, who are married and you have children, you also need to have an unshakable commitment to your kids. Your kids may hurt you. Your kids may embarrass you. Your kids may walk away from you. And this is my encouragement. I believe it's from the Lord. Don't give up. I want you to understand something today. Parents, you are the greatest defense against the devil in your children's life. God brought you together and you have children. He's put something inside of you that's a love that no one else can understand for another person, a love of a parent for a child. He's done that on purpose because you are designed by God to be the greatest defense against the devil that of of anything else on the planet. And I would just tell you this. Pray, 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 and keep on praying. Love, 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 and keep on loving no matter how much you have been hurt. I want you to follow the lead of the father in the story of the prodigal son. The thing I want you to understand about that story is in the father, the the great part of that story is not looking at the kid. The great part of that story is looking at the dad. Because the dad never gave up. He understood this type of commitment that we're talking about. He kept open to his son's return. Matter of fact, it says he hoped for his son's return. He prayed for his son's return. And then when his son returned, he celebrated his son's return. And church, I challenge us today. Let's not be like the older brother in the story. Because he was angry. Did he have a right to be angry? Yeah. In a human sense, he was hurt. He was angry. But here's where he really messed up. He didn't get past his anger. And he refused to welcome his brother back. Understanding this idea with kids straying. And they do. Understand this. Victory isn't in being right. Victory would not have been in the father saying, Ha! I knew you would come back groveling. That wouldn't have been victory. That's the way we want to act sometimes. Victory would not have been in being right. Victory is in a relationship being restored. That's where the victory lies. And moms and dads, we're the ones in the situation who have to extend that grace and that love and that openness. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says like this. It says, love never gives up. It never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. As parents, that's the kind of love we have to have for our kids. Mom and dads, love your kids in spite of themselves. Never give up. Never lose faith. Always be hopeful. And I would say this, and welcome them back home when they repent. An important word there, when they repent. There's going to be a few years maybe, a few miles you've got to walk through where they're not repentant and they're living in rebellion and you've got to lay down some tough guidelines. You've got to stand strong and love them and not encourage their waywardness. You've got to maybe separate and, and let them go and find their ways. But when they do like that prodigal son and it said he's in the pig pen and it says this, the most amazing part of the story, and he came to himself. He had a revelation inside of himself. He already knew the truth, but suddenly something happened where he got the truth. He said, I'm better off in my father's house. And he ran back to dad. You know what? We welcome them back in. We welcome them home when they repent. You think that's what God wants for us? Amen. I know it's a tough... These topics right here are hard ones to talk about because they hit at the core of our heart. Our families, 
our children. Let's look at one more thing about commitment. And this has to do with every one of us. Raise your hand if you're not a child. <laughs> you're not a child, Bev? <laughs> okay, what's this? Raise your hand if you are not a child, you're not somebody's child. Isn't that a better way? I don't mean, I, I, that was a bad question. We're all somebody's child, right? We're all born to parents. I'm, I'm, I'm being unclear. Now, you're, now am I clear? <laughs> okay, so it's not your fault, it's my fault. We are all children in the sense that we all have parents. They might not be living anymore, but we all are children. And I'd say this, a child, no matter what age, 5 to 105, I want to challenge you to do something. Go against our culture and be committed to your parents. Go against our culture and be committed to our parents. As a culture, we value youth. Everything's about youth. Matter of fact, Bruce, I don't know if we're getting old, but every time I see conferences now for, our, for the Assemblies of God, the speakers at them are like six. <laughs> right? And I go, and I say this, I think like an old guy, I go, they don't know anything. I don't know, I think, I don't want to listen to them. What do they know? You know, they might build a great organization, but they probably still use cars really well too. You know, I'm not certain. You know, um, in a society, we value youth. And you know what we do? We devalue age. We devalue the elderly. And I'm telling you, we're backwards in it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to us. Turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy with me. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I want you to, 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 let's look at the core of what he's saying here. He's talking specifically about how people should take care of widows who are widows indeed. And he has very strict requirements for who can try to recall themselves a widow. They've got to be pretty old. They've had to serve the Lord. You know, he says you just can't really throw out that term, I'm a widow, um, unless he calls you a widow indeed. But um, in verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, he says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. Well, let's pay attention here. But if any widow has children or grandchildren. They must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Look at that. If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Look at this. It says basically we please God as we care for our parents and our grandparents. That's what he's saying. We please God as we care for our parents and our grandparents. Understand with me this morning what an important aspect this is in building great families. Because as we go out of our way to care for our parents and our grandparents, you know what we're doing? We're teaching our children the value of family. They are learning to place a high value on family through the actions of a mom or a dad who care for their parents who are elderly. And believe me, it will affect the relationship they have with you when you get old. All the time. The other day I was talking to the kids. Because I'm always joking at home and say, you know, Suzanne's seven years younger than me. Men die seven years older, quicker than women. So Suzanne's got at least 15 years uh, without me. And I told my boys, and I will haunt you if you don't take care of your mother. I said, I don't believe, I don't, even if it's not biblical, I'll figure out a way. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll get permission from God, <laughs> and I'll come back and do something if you don't take care of your mom. And Josh fired off the other day and said, well, are you going to take care of grandma and grandpa when they're old? I said, absolutely. 
it is in our plan of life that we will probably someday care for our parents when they're elderly in our home. That's always been one of our thoughts. Matter of fact, the original reason Suzanne said she's going to go to nursing school, to this day she's in nursing school, she says, I don't know if she'll, she says, she doesn't know if she'll ever work as a nurse. She says, I'm going to nursing school so I'll be more able to care for our parents when they're older. That's the reason she's going through years of school. So she can say, I can be better at caring for my parents. So it's my dad who's going through colon cancer right now. Suzanne's the one who goes to his appointments with him. And she says, I understand it better now because I'm in nursing school. That's been her motivation the whole time, is saying, I want to be able to care for our parents. Now, does that make me thrilled? Whoo, I'm going to have my mother-in-law living with me, you know? <laughs> that doesn't make me thrilled. But I'm going to teach my children what it means to care for their mom when, she, when, when she's elderly and I'm dead and gone by caring, for parent, by caring for my parents and her parents. And so, friends, let's honor elderly because it not only does it, does it say that it, that it pleases God when we care for our parents and grandparents, but we also teach our kids the value of family. That makes sense? Okay. Let's move on. I'm going to go quick. The next two are quick, okay? I promise you that. The first, I told you in the beginning. I said the first one was the big one, right? You heard me. So I'm not just skipping through stuff. Let's look at the second essential at building a great family. And you're going to say, well, this should go without saying. I'm going to tell you why this needs to be said. Why this needs to be an understood building block from the beginning, it's this. It's forgiveness. Commitment and then forgiveness. And this is why forgiveness is so important. Because you've got to understand something about where forgiveness is the most important. That the closer you are with someone, and the more time you spend with someone, the greater the opportunity for offense, and then the greater the need for forgiveness. Well, who are we closer with and who do we spend more time with, especially when we have the nuclear family at home, mom, dad, and kids? We spend the most time with those people. And so the, the closer you are with someone and the more time you spend with someone, the greater the opportunity for offense and then the greater the need for forgiveness. This is all about family. I just want to tell you this. As a family, set, it, set in stone right now. Be quick to forgive. Every wedding I ever perform, I tell them when I do the sermon, I do one of the points to put in every single sermon, be quick to forgive. I think it's the most essential building block in family. Be quick to forgive. How often does something happen when you gather together as a family, it's at Christmas or it's wherever, you gather together, maybe it's around the kitchen table, and you're just having conversations, how often does something happen that causes tension or anger or offense? And it, maybe it wasn't even intentional. But it happens all the time just because you're together more and you're closer to each other and it's more possible of being hurt by somebody who's closer to you. If a stranger in the street walks up and you and says, hey, jerk, you go, I don't care what that guy thinks. But your kid says, I think you're a jerk. That hurts deeper, right? Greater opportunity for offense. And when is there more opportunity for offense than with you when you're with your family? When the thing that could make it so much easier is just to resolve this, to say, you know what? I'm sorry. And you know what I found out when you say I'm sorry? There's almost always quickly a corresponding, yeah, I'm sorry too. Isn't it amazing how tension can be just so thick you can cut it? And one person has the, has the maturity and the strength of character to be the one to step out and say, I'm sorry. And everybody falls in line, yeah, I'm sorry too. So often... Just that pride of not being the one who wants to do that holds things apart. Listen, listen to the advice 
um, from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Matter of fact, I think Ephesians 4, 32, you know how they had this Shema in the Old Testament and they wrote it on the doorpost and they, wrote, they put it on little things they tied on themselves? I think Ephesians 4, 32 should probably be somewhere written in every house in, a, in, a, in the church world. And it says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Friends, be quick to forgive. Write this verse down. Memorize it as a family. Make it your family motto that we're going to be quick to forgive. I really believe that the failure to forgive keeps more families from becoming great families than any other single thing. A failure to forgive each other. Unforgiveness grows and develops and an atmosphere of anger and bitterness begins to develop, and that atmosphere keeps people from loving, it keeps people from feeling secure, it keeps people from feeling accepted, and in that soil, nothing good can grow. Friends, commitment and forgiveness. Be quick to forgive. Ready for the last one? The last one is this. And I had to think about how I could express this. As a matter of fact, this one took me the most energy to try to figure out how to, how to express it. Because I knew what I was thinking and I felt what the Lord was saying, but I couldn't figure out. And so I want you to hear, I'm going to say what it is and I want you to hear what I mean by it. Okay? The third one is this. It's genuine faith. Genuine faith. You know, I don't think in this setting that I need to spend a lot of time talking about the fact that we believe around here of having a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? We believe in coming to faith in Christ, of understanding we're sinners and giving our life to Christ and asking Jesus to come up and be our Lord and Savior. You know, we, we really believe that. Maybe if you don't know that, today is a day you could come to meet Jesus as your Savior and Lord. We really believe that around here. But what I mean by genuine faith isn't just about being born again. It's not just about saying, Jesus, come into my heart. But rather it's about living out in your home life real faith, genuine faith and then intentionally passing it down to your kids and your grandkids. Genuine faith is, is actively living it out in your home so that, the, so that the family members see it. What a tragedy it is when kids say when they grow up, well, yeah, dad and mom look like that at church, but you should have waited till they got in the car and drove home. What a tragedy is. Now, I'm not saying you don't have squabbles. And you know what? My kids have seen Suzanne and I going toe-to-toe, and the day, second we walk in the door, God bless you, how are you today? And you do the same thing. But you know what? I hope they don't ever say that's the norm. Because genuine faith says it's more important to live it out in the home than it is in church when you're trying to impress people. Genuine faith leads us to do things that those around us don't do. And it gives us opportunity to explain to our children and our grandchildren how Jesus directs and shapes us. See, as we serve Jesus, as we give to the work of God, as we make sacrifices, as we set priorities and commitments that are unshakable in our home lives, our families see the gospel. You know, when we take someone into our home, and we don't really want to take it at all, maybe it's going to be mother-in-law. But we do it because it's a way to express Christ. We reveal the reality of Jesus in our lives to our family. Just this week I had an opportunity for this. Someone called me on the phone. 
Actually, another pastor pawned him off on me. That's what really happened. Gave him my cell number. I still haven't talked to him about that. And there's a guy who stayed in my house a few other times. And uh, he's coming through the area, wants to come through the area. And he called me up, left a long message, literally a long message. Fortunately, cell phones have a duration that kind of cuts you off. And uh, this long message. Everything he's going to be doing in his life. And he's going to be coming to the area, and could he come to the church and make a presentation, and could he stay in my house? And it wouldn't work out for doing a presentation timing-wise, do a long thing at least. And I thought in every way I could to make sure it wasn't possible for him to stay in my house. God, how can, how can I make this not work? <laughs> because I know he's going to want me to stay up all night and talk to him about stuff. And, and the timing-wise was tough. And I was trying to figure out a way to make it not work. And I was sitting at my desk, and I knew I had to make a return call, and I was thinking about how could I get out of this. And the Lord brought to my mind the requirements of an elder. And one of the requirements of an elder is to be hospitable. That's what scripture says. To be hospitable. Welcome people into your home. The Spirit of the Lord. Do you hate that when that happens? <laughs> I had good reasons. And I remembered I had to be hospitable. So I texted Suzanne. She was at school. And I said, would it be okay for this person to stay at our house on this night? And she goes, of course. My kids know this guy's been in the house before. And they're like, oh, really? <laughs> and I said, hey, a requirement of elders is to be hospitable. We're going to be hospitable. Can I tell you something? That speaks more to your children than me preaching a hundred sermons on hospitality. Because it's lived out. That's what I'm talking about, genuine faith. And I'm not trying to say I got the corner on the market. I'm just trying to think of an example where I was trying to do it wrong. This week. <laughs> And God slapped me and said, Larson, when are you going to grow up? That house isn't yours anyways. As a matter of fact, Mark, your time isn't yours. You're living on my time. You do what I want you to do. You know, when you go out of your way to pick someone up for church week after week after week after week, guess what? Your kids see that Jesus really affects your life. Because it's easy to say, I don't want to drive over there and pick them up. But you do it anyways. They see the reality of Jesus. You know what? And I want you to hear this today, and I, I've been wrestling with this. Because I've seen such a transition in this, for in, the, in the last 10 years probably, such a transition away from this, and it just breaking my heart. I believe it's breaking the heart of God. And I'm not exaggerating. I believe it's breaking the heart of God. When we choose to go to church on Sunday, when everybody else is going to the game or to the lake, or the latest, you know, uh, meat, sport meat, when we choose to go to church instead, when we choose to say, you know what, I don't really, I, w I, I know there's other opportunities for me to do stuff. I could work, but I don't have to. Um, there's an obligation to this, but I don't have to. When we choose to go to church on Sunday, when everybody else is making an excuse to do something else, we are showing that Jesus is the most important in our life. And that he is the priority of our lives. In an act, we're saying it in actuality and not just words. And this is, what I'm, this is what I'm feeling in my heart right now. Parents, you don't have a second chance with your kids. You can't get done and go, oh, I want to redo. Mulligan. I, you know what? My kids are now 18, they're 19, they're 20, they're 30, and they never darken the doorstep of a church. Why would that be? But they darken the doorstep of a softball tournament. 
the dark in the doorstep of, of whatever latest uh, hunting season is open. And, or you could do it every single week if you want. You could find an excuse every Sunday. And I'm not saying you can't, that you can't miss church. I do at times. Because we all need vacations. We all go away and do stuff. We all visit family sometimes. But I'm saying as a habit that... And you say, well, you're preaching to the choir. I am, but I'm telling you, my heart's breaking because I think as a culture, we're trending so far away. I've seen such a transition. Remember, when I was a kid and you were a kid, you couldn't even go to a grocery store on Sunday. You couldn't buy gas. I try to tell my kids that and they don't believe it. You couldn't buy gas on Sunday. Now you can't, you can't hardly come to church because your, your kid's in, in basketball and he's got to go to practice on Sunday. And I'm saying, I think families, we have to take some hard stands. And we may have to say it for the spiritual health of my kid, you know what? You're going to have to skip that. And the kid's going to tell you you're rotten. The kid's going to tell you they hate you. But my hope is that they get enough of God in this place that they say, you know what? That stuff's going to be done when I'm 18. But now I've got Jesus for the rest of my life. And I'm not saying that to try to be some, you know, hell, fire, and brimstone, old-fashioned guy. I'm saying as a guy who has seen this incredible transition in the last couple of years where just any excuse is a good excuse for just not being part of the family. God, remember we started off saying we're a family? How can we be a family when they're not here for each other? The average American, this is Barna numbers, the average American who calls himself an evangelical goes to church 1.4 times a month. That's in America. You know what I challenge us all to do? Take out your calendar and look back how, how often we go. And you're going to go, oh my goodness, 1.6, 1.8. Living a genuine faith, we don't say, do as I say, not as I do. We don't say that to our kids. We say, do as I do. We need to help our kids to experience the gospel beyond just hearing the gospel. And I'll tell you this, it will make all the difference. Because then the family, together, stands upon one foundation that never shifts or never crumbles. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and that above anything else, grows great families. Commitment, forgiveness, and living out a genuine faith. Would you stand with you this morning?